Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap coming to you today after a rare New England Revolution loss, 2 to nothing to New York City FC at Yankee Stadium that ended the Revolution's nine-game unbeaten run. Uh, certainly a shorthanded Revolution side for this, which we'll get into. I'm Sean Donahue. Joining me today is Chris Valukas. Chris, how are you doing after that loss? You know what? Uh, somewhat depressed. Uh, that was a, It was a tough one to watch. Like, uh, going forward for the season, this hasn't really affected my outlook on the revolution, but just how I'm feeling after watching that game, just depressing. Ugh, it, it was uh, it was a, it was a tough watch. I I let my my five year old son stay up late tonight to watch the game. You know, he's going to school. He's starting kindergarten this coming week, so I was like, what better time to just stay up late and watch a game? We're gonna have a good time together, and I couldn't have picked a worse night possible to <laughs> have him do that. Uh, it, I don't know. It was just such a such a a depressing, like downward spiral uh, throughout that game. Uh, thankfully, he fell asleep in the second half and didn't have to witness uh, full defeat. So, um, but yeah, that's how I'm doing. Um, yeah, Sean, how are you? Yeah, I mean, he didn't he didn't miss much by uh, by falling asleep in the second half. Uh, you, yeah. you go back. I, I I remember looking at this lineup when it came out, and I it tweeted out that this was the only the second game all season the revolution have started a match with less than two designated players on the field the other one being that dc united game where the revolution looked you know pretty terrible in the first half and were trailing one nothing at halftime and then brought on some great subs at the break and and turned things around to win that game um i got the feeling going into this game that that wasn't going to happen um if the revolution fell behind because i think new york city fc is a much better team than dc united and playing on the road at yankee stadium is a a kind of a, a different beast and we got a lot to cover, but I do want to kind of set the stage um, of what the Revolution were dealing with in this game and that, you know, Carles Heel, Tejan Buchanan were both suspended for missing the All-Star game. Uh, stupid, maybe a stupid rule, maybe not a stupid rule. We'll get into that later, I think, a little bit and, and mm-hmm. give our, our thoughts on that. Um, Matt Polster was back on the Revolution game day roster, but started this one on the bench. That was good to see. Um, still no Brandon Bay. Um, we don't know his status. I, I, Bruce's comments made it sound like he'd be back soon, so maybe we'll see him next week. Uh, but, but who knows with that? Um, and then uh, who, who else am I missing here at the road? Oh, Gustavo Bo started this game on the bench as well um, after coming back from the All Star game. We asked Bruce after the game why that was, and he and he said, you know, he came back on Thursday. He cares about the players' health. He didn't think it was right to to start him in this one, which which makes perfect sense to me. Um, and then less important, but a little bit surprising to me, is John Bell didn't make the bench for. This this one John Bell played about 60 minutes for Revs 2 last weekend so I would have thought that they would have had him available for depth in this one um because we've you know we've talked before about center back being kind of a weak area for the Revs. it didn't matter Farrell and Kessler played the whole game so I don't think it mattered but that that just surprised me a little bit and makes me wonder if he's not as as fit or picked up a knock midweek you'll never know what the Revs because they're not going to tell you but <laughs> but that's just kind of a more of a of me wondering aloud thing um but with kind of that setting the stage and you know understanding that this was not the best revolution lineup and and, you know, despite that, they've won a lot of games without the best Revolution lineup. Um, they lost this one. Chris, wh- what was your takeaway from this game? A game, again, in which, you know, they're playing in a difficult situation at a you know, crappy baseball stadium pitch that's smaller than normal, and we're missing a lot of big guys. Yeah. The, uh, first of all, yeah, New York, New York City Stadium 
situation. I, it's hard to really, you know, give them crap for it. It's kind of like throwing rocks in a glass house, that old saying. Yeah, I know, understand the Revolution are not in a great situation with their their stadium, but at least the the pitch is a standard size. It's a it's a full length field in full width field as well. Uh, New York City's I don't know. Every time I watch a game there, I I just drives me crazy. It's so compact. I don't know how you can get anything going. There's no flow to the game. Everything just all of a sudden erupts. I don't know. I'm not going to go on and on about the stadium. Well, we'll get we'll get into that one more later. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Because yeah, the st- I don't know. I, I can't stand playing there. At the same time, it's always entertaining to watch uh, from a more neutral perspective. So I, I enjoy watching games that, that do not involve the revolution, for the most part. Uh, but yeah, my takeaway from this game, uh, there was a lot of different areas I guess I could look, and I always try to find uh, more of a positive spin to it. That's just how I prefer to look at things. But you know what? I'm depressed. I've already gone over this. This this match has really depressed me. I'm going to be somewhat negative here. I'm looking at Dewan Jones and wondering what happened to this player that's been so dominant so far throughout the 2021 campaign. Of course, he's playing now on the right-hand side. This is, uh, I think, second match in a row he's playing on the right-hand side uh, with Brandon Bay missing. And Dewan Jones is not even a shell of himself that we want to talk about that second goal that New York city scored. He just completely gave up on that cross. As soon as the cross yep. came in, he just stopped and started watching saying, where's this ball going to go? Instead of following Castellanos and marking his man, Castellanos wide open. There's not a chance at all that Turner saves it. All he can hope for is that Castellanos makes another uh, terrible mistake and skies it, which he almost did. Uh, you know, it was a couple of feet under the crossbar, but uh Castellanos did his best chance, uh, best effort to to not put that on frame, but you you can't miss from two yards out like that. Uh, that's I'd say maybe eighty percent on Dewan Jones, the other twenty percent on the fact that Andrew Farrow c- could not fully clear that that whole possession, that spell of possession, that uh, that series that occurred right before the goal. But Dewan Jones, I'm I'm looking over at his side. I thought it was a very poor night. He had very poor passing statistics. Uh, I forget exactly what the number was, somewhere around 60%. 53.6%. It was 48% at halftime. He got it up to an astounding 53.6% by the time he was subbed out. Even worse. So, yeah. uh, And I I don't want to turn this into uh, harping on Dewan Jones' podcast because I think Dewan Jones has been stellar this season. I think he deserves all the praise that he's been getting. I think tonight was a real big example of maybe how far on the opposite side of the spectrum Dewan Jones can go. And maybe it's just because he's being pushed back over to the right side. I know he played on the right, I think in college and with the revolution, he's been more of a a left-based player or left-sided player. And he's been very comfortable there and now getting changed up, having to cover for um, Brennan by it's, it's really changed his game. And it showed, especially when AJ De La Garza gets subbed on, for you uh, in the second half. I forget what minute it was that he got subbed on, but if, if you're a fullback and you're getting subbed out for a more defensive minded fullback uh, while you're losing two nil, it, it's not a good look for, for your game. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And Dewan Jones, we've talked a lot about the podcast, how good he's been this year as a left back. I think it's been mm-hmm. two straight games where he hasn't looked very good as a right back. And I, you know, I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't, 
be a good right back if he got more experience there. But I think it's clear to me that, you know, he needs more experience there. And it is a big switch going from one side to the other. And yes, he's a naturally right-footed player, but, you know, you're playing very differently, um, you know, going from left back to right back. And it, it almost, I'm going going way back, it almost reminds me a little bit of, of Kevin Alston, who I thought when he switched over to left back, looked like you know, he a naturally right-footed player, looked a lot more comfortable at left back when he got a chance to play there. Um, and I see a little bit of the same from Dewan Jones. I think you, you're forced to play a little bit differently when you're at left back and you're a right-footed player and, you know, maybe make some more simple passes and um, your, your confidence might not be exactly the same because you're so used to, you know, when you're on the right, being able to put in right-footed crosses and get bombed down the wing and kind of thinking that way. Um, but Duan has played so much at left back and gotten so good there um, that I, I, you know, it's unfair to be too critical of, of his play at right back, but it's, it's mm-hmm. clear that he's, you know, he needs more experience at right back to get better there because I think both of these games have been, you know, subpar. His passing numbers, I think, uh, a week ago, were, you know, it was a different game. The Revolution were on the front foot in that game. I think he passed them like 81%. Um, so it wasn't so much of his passing numbers that game as, as some other areas of his game. But, um, 82, yep. Yeah, so, you know, this game, it was the passing numbers. It was the defense. I think, you know, like you said, he was, you know, a big part of being at fault in that second goal. I think Tristison um, had gotten hurt shortly before that second goal, too, and kind of had taken himself out of that play and hadn't gotten up. Um, so the Revolution were sort of playing down a man, too, which didn't really help things like compounding everything else. But none of that changes the fact that, you know, Dewan Jones let Castellanos sneak in behind him. There was no question that that was he was the only guy that could have covered him. And he was in a position where he could have covered him, but he hesitated, got caught flat footed and Castellanos just snuck in behind him. So um, it's hard for me to p- place much fault on that, you know, on anybody else. Um, again, like you said, you know, Farrell could have done better there. You know, they could have done a better job closing out Morales on the cross. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, Jones has to do better on that play. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you there. And, you know, hopefully Brandon Bay comes back soon because the two of them were playing really well with Bay on the right and, and Jones on the left. Um, and you know, I don't think Moffle had a bad game, but I, I still think that Jones has been a really good left back for the Revs this season. And you know, I, for one, I'm looking forward to them having their, their fir- first choice defense back, right? hundred uh, percent. It's, it's been uh, pretty shocking, I, I think, to see how disjointed the defense has become once you start rotating players in and out. And it goes to show we've been talking about it all year. We talked about it in the offseason. There's a lot of uh, lack of depth. Uh, as far as the whole back line goes, AJ De La Garza came in and he was the depth signing. And to me, that's uh, he should be more of a you know breaking case of emergency type player. Uh, at, you know, at, given his current age and experience, he's still a valuable player to have on the roster, but he should not be next man up, uh, so to say. It, maybe Bell was supposed to be that player to fill that role. I know he was signed as well, of course, in the offseason. I, I, I kind of wish that this team went out to to get some sort of center back help. And we were talking about it uh, for the summer transfer window. It, are the Revs going to rue the opportunities to, to, or the decision to, to not make any signings and not bring in any center backs especially? And I think that answer is starting to be yes. I think there's a lot of gaps on this back line. And it's it's really biting them, and tonight was one of the one of those games that they paid the price for not not having the correct depth. Well, I think it's always unfortunate when you know one injury makes you have to change two spots, 
And mm-hmm. that's what's happened with Brandon Bay. One injury has meant a Dewan Jones needs to switch over to right back. And again, we've you know we've talked about it's a naturally right footed player. You'd think it would be natural, but it's not. He's been playing left back for a very long time. That's that's what he's comfortable at. Um, that that is now his you know natural position, for lack of a better term for that. Um, mm-hmm. So you know they and they put Moffat at left back. So you've you've switched both your fullbacks to, to guys that you know aren't your starting fullbacks. Dewan Jones is starting left back, but it's not the same having him play right back. And part of that was because. You know, I think AJ De La Garza, the first game by was out, got a start and didn't look that great at right back. Um, didn't have a great game. And this game, De La Garza had to come in because Jones wasn't having a good game. So it's 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 kind of a compounding problem that they're, you know, again, I, I stand by my comment on last week's podcast. I'm not going back on my comment that the Rebs had the, you know, the deepest team they've ever had. I, I do think that is definitely the case. Um, but, you know, like we said before, there there were some areas of the defense where they could have improved depth. Um, and, and they didn't do that. So I think that is coming to hurt them right now. But with that said, I, I don't think Brandon Bayes' injury is particularly serious. I do think there's a good chance we'll be back next week, and if not that, the week after. So um, I think it's a short-term problem, and, and you know, knock on wood, these guys stay healthy for the stretch run. But, um, you know, I, I agree. It was a rough performance for Jones coming off of another, you know, subpar performance from Jones that was masked by the fact the Revolution had a dominant win. Uh, but, but, you know, with that, my, my takeaway is on the other side of the ball, um, and that's, you know, it, it actually goes to something, a question we got on Discord from, from Macho TM, who asked, why can't this team create anything without Carles and Tejan? Uh, I, I mean, it goes beyond that. I think it's without Carles, Tejan, and Bo um, that the revolution really struggle. And, you know, it's, you know, again, talking about depth, the, the fact that they've done so well without Carles' heel is really impressive. Um, they've managed to create chances. They've you know, managed to score enough goals to, to win a lot of games. Um, but then when you take Tejan away, who's one of those guys that creates a lot of chances, then we take Bo away, who, you know, as we discussed, is, you know, top five in the league this year and chances created, um, along with Carlos Hill is number one, that, you know, any team I think would struggle in that scenario. And then you're going up against, you know, a New York City FC team that's really good. They're a good team, and they're really, especially a good team at home. And it's a difficult situation in New York. So I don't think it's surprising um, that they struggled without those guys. But it is a sign that, you know, there is a limit to the Revolution's depth. There's only so many guys they can replace. And, you know, when I saw the Revolution's lineup, you know, going out in this game, I te- I texted Chris before and said, I, you know, this looks like a game that the Rebs could lose to me because of that midfield, um, because of the lack of creativity. Um, I think Chris was a little bit more positive than I was going into this one. Um, but, you know, when, when I saw that midfield, you know, I said, Boateng and Tristison have a lot of pressure on them to create chances. And, and Boateng's done it recently. Tristison has been a disappointment in, in that category. I think he's had his moments. Um, but this was a game where he really needed to step up um, and he was playing out in the right. So, you know, playing more as an inverted winger. I, I don't think he stepped up enough in this game. I don't think he created much at all. Boateng created a few chances. I thought he looked decent, not as good as he had in some of the past games, but decent. But there was also a lot more pressure on him when, you know, when Tejan Buchanan's out on the field, uh, there's a lot more focus on Tejan Buchanan than there's on Boateng. So it, it opens up the field more for him. And with Gustavo Bo's on the field, same thing. It, you know, there's there's more dangerous players that teams have to focus on. I think you looked at the lineup in this game and you saw Boateng as a guy that was going to be the, you know, potentially the primary creator for the revolution. And as good as he's been, that's asking a lot from him. And I, I thought he did okay. 
Um, but that to me, it's not surprising that, you know, given that the revolution didn't create a lot of chances, I don't think, you know, Masial has been, been decent. I don't think he was involved in the attack enough. We've seen moments in the past where he's, you know, looked good in the attack. I don't think this game was one of them. Um, McNamara, I don't think he was as involved in the attack as we've seen him sometimes. So yeah, there was absolutely a lack of creativity in the midfield and the revolution bypassed the midfield a, a lot in this game. I think, I forget when it was sometime after the 30th minute when I think, um, Martial was at something like six touches and McNamara was at nine touches. Um, Tristan was at nine touches. So they really were bypassing the midfield. And again, part of this is, you know, a compact New York city field where there's not a lot of room for creativity, but you're also missing the guys like, like Carlos Hill who are good at tight spaces and Tejan Buchanan is capable of creating spaces. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not surprised, but this game just showed that the Revolution don't have enough creativity without their three best creators, um, and, and you know, Carles Hill, Gustavo Bo, and Tejan Buchanan. And to me, that's that's not surprising uh, that that was the case. You know, when you're when you're going down the depth chart of creativity, and you're and if you're at number four, and we're complaining about not having enough creativity, right? <laughs> I, I think that's that's a fair point to make, and I think that maybe that's something that we should exploit as a positive: the fact that. We do have three players that we can talk about that are probably top creators in the league. Obviously, statistically, two of them are. I don't know where Buchanan falls on that list. But being able to have three players that create as much as they do is such a a, a gift, if you want to call it that, for the revolution that once they're not there, we start realizing you know, how difficult maybe a, a lot of other teams are having it. Uh, how difficult the revolution would have it if we have if we didn't have those players on the pitch uh it's it, it was tough watching with the creativity i think you know teal bunbury was kind of given a lot of the responsibility to create as well um up top with adam buxa you had tristison i think going down the wings i'm not really sure where what he was doing most of the game he was pretty absent uh boateng was very active but again, going down the wing, not creating anything through the middle. Anytime that the play went through the middle, it didn't go through Maciel. It didn't go through Boateng. It didn't go through Tristison. It went through Teal Bunbury or Adam Buchs. I thought Adam Buchs had a fantastic game when you're talking about hold-up play. Uh, I thought Teal Bunbury did pretty good when you're talking about how uh, how he's doing for, for creating chances, but not quite good enough. The, the final pass was not always there. Um, maybe if you want to talk about back in the third or fourth minute uh, when he had a Teal had a very nice header to play in Adam Books and Books skied it, uh, which you know would have changed the complete complexion of the game going forward. But uh, Teal did okay overall, but not having that final pass, that final play really hurt uh, the Revolution in the long run as far as creativity goes and creating chances. And you do have to say, like, with with all of that said, the big caveat to all of this is playing at Yankee Stadium makes playing through the midfield difficult in general. Yeah. So, you know, the Revs were in a difficult spot with who they were missing, and that, and that was made more complicated by the fact they were playing at that postage stamp field in New York City SC. So I... You know, not surprising at all that they struggled to create given who was out, but also there's a big asterisk in... in who knows what this would have looked like on a real field, right? I mean, I still, I still don't think the Revolution would have beat New York City FC if this game was played at Red Bull Arena, you know, or something. Right. Uh, and the Revs were missing those guys. I don't think they would have. Um, but it, it's hard to say for certain. I do think the game would have played out differently, right? 
hundred percent. And I think that we absolutely need to make sure we give credit to New York City because this is a very good team. And they fielded almost their number one team. They still have uh, Hebert, uh, who's coming back from injury right now. He was just medically cleared to, to return. He's working on getting his fitness back. And once he's on the field, that New York City team is going to be extremely dangerous. Uh, and it, we've all obviously all seen, or not all, I guess, but you know, a lot of us have seen the uh, the these power rankings based based on some sort of alternative um, statistics. I'm not really sure what it, what it was based on, but so, some City's, sort of algorithm. But if you want to call it some sort of alternative reality, that would work too. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's uh, it, it was I don't know this specifically chosen statistics to create this algorithm to put new york city up at the top um like five spaces ahead of new england revolution which blew my mind that the revs were so far down you want to say new york city is a good team that's fine they are a very good team and i think tonight we got to see how good of a team uh new york city is and castellanos of course he's missed we talked about this last week how many chances has castellanos missed uh, he's been right there. He's got now 10 goals on the season. Uh, he could have a lot more than that. Yeah, I think he, he could could have 30. <laughs> yeah. And he, we're not even like exaggerating that it, it's, it's been unreal how many chances he's missed and how many like really big chances he's missed as well. So uh, first of all, I, I also want to mention, or it's not first of all at all, but I want to make, make sure we mention why did the revolution not make a game plan to go after Castellanos? Just throwing that out there, I would have loved to see Castellanos shut down a bit more. I get it. He's a really tough player to shut down. There's a lot of other good players on the team, but, man, they really let let him in, and he just ate up the whole defense. Uh, I, I don't even remember what I was starting on on this rant. I have so much to rant about from tonight. Um, but uh, we were talking about the pitch, and if, if this was on a bigger pitch, uh, of course, I, I agree. New York City would, would have still... I don't say, want to say steamrolled the revolution. I think they did kind of steamroll them uh, at Yankee Stadium, but it, it would have been maybe a better game for the revolution because they could play more into their pocket. But yeah, uh, New York City has a fantastic team, and especially deploying a full lineup like that, uh, revolution had a real uphill battle tonight. Well, yeah, and I, and I don't think the small field is the reason that Dewan Jones wasn't marking Castellanos on that goal, and I don't think the small field is the reason that Henry Kessler didn't step up in time to you know make the offside trap work in the first goal. I, I mean, there's there's a lot you can say about the small field, but you know those were mental errors that happened from the Revolution that I don't think change if you're playing on a normal size pitch. Um, with that said, you talked a lot about Castellanos. I, I got to talk about him too because I spent a long time in the last podcast talking about you know, how many chances he misses and. And and why that's you know I think why I think a lot of a lot of um, you know rankings that we're talking about that are we think are are dumb are taking into account you know the fact that New York is creating a lot of chances and not scoring on them and giving them too much credit for that um, maybe the Revolution were watching the same highlights I've been watching of Castellanos where he gets breakaways and blows them but in this game he scored two goals and. Uh, exceeded his expected goals total uh which is not something you see from him very often but he's been he's been getting better recently so i think that is a a good trend for new york city fc because if he's finishing his chances they're going to win a lot more games um so yeah i mean they're going to be a team to to watch going forward and i think the revolution are in a very good position seating wise in the east um but this is definitely one of those games that makes you say you know if the revolution somehow were to fall behind new york city fc i don't even know if that's you know numerically possible at this point realistically that's not going to happen but i think this is one of those games that would make you be concerned if the revolution had to go to yankee stadium in the playoffs 
what that game would look like. But again, that's not going to happen. Thank you know, thank thankfully the Revolution have built enough of a leader that's not going to happen. But um, that would be something that would concern me if the Revolution had to do that. Um, and again, another reason why it's so important the Revs have done so well this season to put themselves in, in such a good spot. Um, you know, where it looks like the, the first seed in the East is is pretty much going to be theirs even this far out. So uh, so at least knock on knock on wood, the Revolution are never going to have to play Yankee Stadium in the playoffs. Um, but if they did, that would be a bit concerning. Um, but with that said, I did want to go into a few of the lineup decisions. And actually, I, I want to start with something we touched upon at the beginning. Chris, what what are your thoughts on the fact that Carlos Hill and Tejan Buchanan were suspended for this game? Obviously, it does not matter for Carlos Hill. He was not going to be playing regardless. Um, but Tejan in particular, what's your thought on the fact that, you know, because he went away to Belgium to sign that contract and miss the All-Star game, he was suspended for this match. And, and really, you know, the league missed out on him in the All-Star game, but then they also missed out on having one of the you know more exciting players to watch in the, in the league playing this game. Yeah, this is a, a tough one for me. I'm such like such an MLSer. I'm so pro MLS and everything they do is awesome because it's all MLS and it's unique and it's interesting and it's different. And there's a lot of stupid things that they do and I still stand behind them and I'm just like, no, it's okay. It's, it's MLS. It's just what it is. You got to embrace it. Man, I cannot embrace this. I don't understand this decision. I'm, I, I guess I understand it. They want to put out that product on that national scale and have, you know, Liga MX fans tune in and see the best that MLS has to offer and maybe try to win in some fans and say, wow, I would like to watch those players more often. But, I mean, how often is that going to happen? And why are you going to suspend your your stars? These are the best players in your league. And you're going to suspend them because they're unable to make it. It's one thing if they're just like, nah, I, I don't feel like it. And they have zero reason to be missing it. But, I mean, Carlos Hill hasn't been playing for the Revolution. And you suspend him because he didn't make an exhibition match? What? I mean, of course it didn't make any difference whatsoever because he would not have played this game either way. But Tejan Buchanan... There's a good chance he would have played. I don't know what his flight schedule looks like. I don't know where from Belgium to Boston he is right now. I haven't been following him too much. Um, of course, I don't even think we've mentioned it, but you know, Tejan Buchanan has been announced that he has signed a contract with Club Rouge, and now he has been loaned back to the Revolution for the remainder of the 2021 season. And while he was in Belgium signing that contract, that's when the All-Star game was happening, and he, now he's suspended because of that. It, it's just mind-boggling to me. Don Garber needs to correct this, get this right. Uh, don't suspend your best players because they are just unable to play in an exhibition match. It's just so stupid. I'll let you go because I, I just, I won't stop. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I get the logic behind the rule and the NHL does the same thing. If you miss the all-star game, you, you know, you're suspended for a, a regular season game. I get, I get the thought behind it. You don't want players skipping the all-star game as your showcase. Um, and there's a lot of guys that would you know probably like a rest that would choose to skip it. Um, some guys I think are excited about it, others aren't, but it, you know, wouldn't be fair if, you know, say for example, Seattle had like six or seven guys playing in this game. If they all went and then, you know, the revolution guys decided to stay home and because the coach made up an injury or something, I, I get that. And you want to discourage that, but there's got to be some sort of reasonableness standard here, right? You know, with, with Carles heel, he had missed several games before. Um, it, it, it does, it, it's irrelevant in this case, but hypothetically, let's say he was working his way back and could have been available for this game. And if, you know, if he'd missed what four games before that, 
I think, you know, if you're maybe, maybe you change the rule to, you know, if you, if you missed the game before, then you're not suspended if you miss the officer game. But if you don't miss the game before, you're suspended to, to kind of get around that issue. But then on the other side, Tejan Buchanan, you know, they weren't pretending he was injured. He was flying to Belgium to sign a $7 million contract. Now, like if, if they had papered this, so, um, Tejan had, you know, signed for Brug on Tuesday, wasn't a revolution player on Wednesday, and then was loaned back to the Revs on Thursday. Would he have been suspended? Uh, that's my question, right? Could they have done something like that? And I think the way they actually did this is, I actually don't think he's being loaned back. I think that's more of the deal goes through on January 1. And I don't know if that's kind of to get around the transfer window situation. But hypothetically, if they had done that, like, would that, would that have worked? I don't know. There's just got to be some sort of common sense into this rule. And I, I think it's ridiculous that Tejan couldn't play. Well, at the same time, recognizing I, I do see why there's some need for an incentive to stop guys just from pretending they're injured and skipping but that was obviously not the case for either of these two players so i, I it's it's frustrating and you know with tejan his days in mls are numbered because we know he's going over to belgium and to have him miss a game um for something silly like this is just unfortunate not only for the revolution but for the league because he's an exciting player to watch a hundred percent and you know i i loved your analogy saying you know talking about nhl does this as well i guess the the one thing different i think nhl plays what 82 games in a season yeah, that's very um true. <laughs> MLS, you have 34 games. That's uh, you know less than half the amount of games that you've seen in an NHL season. So, uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense to to lose a star player for one game for this. Uh, and to your point, I do understand. I, I can I can see where it comes from. They they're creating a product and they want the best players out uh, it, to be involved in that product. And Tejon Buchanan was picked like handpicked by Don Garber to be out there and uh, he didn't show up. So um, uh, technically he's under contract from MLS. They can do what the hell they want. I just disagree with it. Yeah. It's, it's really unfortunate. We talked to Bruce after the game, Frank Delapa asked him about Tejan and he mentioned that he was, somebody suggested to him that Tejan fly and miss the Cincinnati game instead of the all-star game. So which to me implies that was a possibility and you know, Bruce said, you know, his priority is meaningful regular season games for the Revolution over the All Star game, and you know, I think that should be his priority. So if this was like punishment for for choosing to have him fly out and miss the All Star game instead of missing a Revs game. That's also ridiculous. Um, but then on on that note, Gustavo Bo, uh, you know, played in the All Star game, came back Thursday. Uh, Bruce Arena opted to only play him forty five minutes because he said he didn't think it was fair to him. That to me makes a whole lot of sense, and that's just the reality of things. But that obviously hurt the revs too because as we said gustavo bo is so crucial um to the revolutions you know creating chances especially when carly's heel is out and i think you saw that in the first half and then i also think again new york city fc is a team where you know they get a lead you're in yankee stadium it's going to be hard to, to break them down the new york city coming into tonight's match is the third best defense uh i think it's in mls maybe it was just the east eastern conference i can't remember now exactly but New York City is not an easy team to break down to begin with, and then you you're gonna give up the lead to them or you know surrender a goal to them, and they're playing on the front foot. It's you know like you said, it's just it's not not a uh, a good situation for the Revolution. It's uphill battle from the start, and now you're down a goal against a very good defensive team. It just uh, it wasn't the Revolution's night. Yeah, and we got a lot of listener questions coming in, including I think about three that have come in since we started recording that I'm actively adding to our to our live template as we're talking. So so we are going to jump into those. I think now's a good time. But before we do, I did want to quickly 
um, t- take a minute to talk about the sponsor of the podcast, Glocko Kits. Glasho Kits is the go-to place to bring you unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GlockoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at Glocko Kits. If you're enjoying the Rev season despite this loss, which you should be, you should be able to get over this one because of how good the Revs have been. Uh, there are a couple of 2020 Ray jerseys on there. There's a 2000 Windbreaker. Good, good selection of Rev stuff currently. Um, and and as we mentioned last week, if you're a fan of Adam Buxa, um, there's the current Poland away kit available now. So as you head into this international break, which isn't really a break, but should be a break, as we'll discuss later, uh, and want to support Adam Buxa playing for Poland, head on to GalakoKits.com, use code REVSRECAP, and save 15% on that kit. And with that, we got a lot of great listener questions. We're going to jump right into those. The first comes from Sam Mitten on Twitter, Sam from the Bent Musket. Uh, he asked, does the result of this game matter at all in the grand scheme of things? What do you think, Chris? In the grand scheme? Uh, not really. Going into the game, you know, you told me before the game that this is going to be a loss for the Revolution. You kind of got already knew it, kind of chalked it up. The Revolution have won so many games. They still have uh, a lead in the in the Supporter Shield standings where they still control their own destiny, if you want to use that phrase. Uh, so in the grand scheme of things, probably not missing a lot of players. Uh, it's going to be a tough game to, to, to begin with. Uh, I think how they how they bounce back is more going to make it's going to make more of a difference in the grand scheme of uh, of the league and Sporter Shield and MLS Cup. Yeah, I mean, I, I've gone on record as saying, you know, I don't think the Revolution are going to get that that points that best all time points record of seventy two points, and they've. The, the, the past few weeks have made me start to reconsider that. But, you know, <laughs> if if your goal is for the revolution to break the points record, losing this game might matter in the grand scheme of things. I think that that could hurt. But I don't think that's important. I don't think that's what the revolution should be should be looking towards. Um, it, it's you know, it'd be a nice thing to have. But uh, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's important. And with this loss, the revolution are down to two point one three points per game, which is still slightly higher than LAFC's record two point one two. Um, but obviously it leaves the margin for error a lot smaller. Uh, again, it's, I don't think that's important. What's important is winning the Supporter Shield and winning the MLS Cup. And in the grand scheme of things, I don't think this impacts that that much. The Revolution have a nice leads in both of those. Um, you know, Seattle might bring it within four points. I don't know if they're playing tonight or tomorrow. They might, they might bring it within four points. Um, playing tomorrow, I guess, against Portland, so that'll be an interesting game to watch. But the Revolution are still in a very good place, and this was far from the Revolution's first line, first team lineup. It was in a difficult situation in New York City. It it doesn't matter that much, and in, in some sense, you know, it's it's not a bad thing for the Revolution to face some adversity. Things are almost going too smooth for them <laughs> in recent weeks, where you know it's good to get this out of the way now rather than in the playoffs. And and maybe this is something they can learn from. I am honestly not sure they can learn too much from this game. Um, so the players after the game were saying you know they could learn from this one, so maybe they can. But I'm, I'm not sure there's too much you can learn from this. Um, but yeah, I I I'm with you. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter that much unless you're really focused on breaking that 72 points record, which you know it. It is what it is. <laughs> Maybe the loss could be some of, you know, Bill Belichick's early 2000 cliche humble pie, you know. Maybe maybe that's what this yeah. game is. Maybe that's what we could take away in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's really important is that, and, you know, if you listen to the Far Post podcast this week, they talked about that. I think what's really important is that the revolution go into the playoffs 
with momentum and on a hot streak. So if you're going to have a bump, a bump in the road, and this is a bump in the road, and you know what? Maybe next weekend will be too, because next weekend the Revolution is going to be missing a lot of these same guys and some different guys. Um, Philadelphia is going to be missing a lot of guys too, so it's kind of a game you can you can write off. But maybe the Revolution lose two games in a row, and then that's really kind of a, a, a bad patch for the revolution, um, but an understandable one. And if they you know, take that, lose those two games, and then turn things back around and go on a winning streak, nobody's going to care. And if anything, maybe that helped them to kind of have that adversity and get it out of the system. Um, just, just remember, though, Sean, good teams don't lose two games in a row. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. That is one of the, uh, one of the quotes from Brad Friedel that I actually kind of like. <laughs> yes. But, um, but so on that, on that note, uh, Mike Kennedy, uh, who got his question just in time, asked us, is tonight's result a, is tonight's loss a result of fatigue, good tactics, an off night, or some combination? Curious on your take. What do you think on that one, Chris? You know, I, I think we've kind of gone back and forth quite a bit already on what has uh, what the proceedings were and, and what has happened during the game that culminated in the loss. I think it's you know, a concoction of all of those things. There's maybe not so much fatigue. Uh, you want to say there's fatigue with, with Gustavo Bo or Matt Turner. Maybe you could say that. I don't think Matt Turner's to blame for this. I don't think Gustavo Bo is to blame uh, for the loss tonight. Uh, tactics, I mean, I don't really know what the tactics were because anytime they tried to connect any sort of play together, any passes together, it was just uh, a sloppy turnover fest. Uh, there was a lot of you know, maybe it is fatigue because they all that those legs looked very heavy all game. You know, after about 25 minutes or so, it just looked like everyone on the Revolution was done. Uh, so maybe there was some fatigue playing in there. I don't know where it would have come from. Maybe the 90 degrees that they've been training in lately uh, has been a bit much. I, I don't know. We're, we could speculate anything in the world as to as to what has been going on and why the players have put on such a pro, such a lousy performance. Um, but I think it's it just really comes down to it being an off night, the fact that there's a lot of rotation in the lineup, uh, and there was just no creativity. There wasn't a lot of desire to to do much. Uh, there was one shot on goal. Is that correct? That was the last stat that I saw. I don't know if there was any that came in late. Um, there was a ton of corner kicks. There's a ton of chances. Nothing is put on frame. So uh, you know, it was just just one of those nights. You got to kind of take it on the chin and move on. Yeah, and and on you know, on the chances when you talked about Adam Buxa's good performance, which it was, the one thing you could knock him on is he did have a couple chances he could have done better mm-hmm. on, especially in the first ten minutes um, yes. where you had that fourth minute chance that um, kind of got open. It was a it was a you know shot from distance. It was a bouncing ball, but he he sent it well higher than that. I think he should have done better on that chance. And then in the tenth minute, um, I actually kind of thought it looked like he committed a foul, but um, there were two defenders in front of him. He managed to create some space and, and good job for him creating space and not getting a foul called. Uh, I thought there was a little push in there, but he he headed from close range just wide again it was difficult there were two defenders on him but i think he could have done better on those two chances and and charlie davies even said you know it's the 10th minute and anabuksa could have had two goals by now um (laughs) so you know that was unfortunate but um yeah there wasn't enough from the revolution you're right it was they did finish with only one shot on target i think they had 12 shots in total so the fact they only put one of those on frame is not a uh, not a great ratio um i mean i even think back to boatangs where he intercepted it in the middle of the pitch there and he came up and he just made a nice run all by himself and then took a shot and it just I don't know. It's, everything went wide of the net tonight. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... <laughs> no, that was a good one, because Boateng took a shot with his right foot, and um, I don't think he's a particularly two-footed player, and I think it's, it showed on that play. He might have had an opportunity, actually, to pass it to Buxa, I think, on that one. Mm-hmm. Although it wasn't it wasn't a clean pass, but I think that probably would have been his better option, given what we saw from his right foot. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It was a combination of things. I don't... Unless you're going to blame fatigue for Gustavo Bo not starting this game, I don't think you can blame fatigue, but it, I mean, it was the first game in a while where the Revolution have actually had a full week of rest so um i wouldn't blame fatigue but there's plenty of other things to blame um patrick martin on twitter had a few questions the first one was we won't see carly's heel until october can't see us sustaining this lack of starters going through world cup qualifying could have a rough stretch ahead without turner carly's heel tejan buxa brandon by potentially hurt uh is it going to catch up to us but 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 that was not his question so that was a big lead up for him to ask <laughs> why is this field ever used complete trash i gotta i gotta start off on this one because you've talked about this a little bit already um you know I think that New York is the one team with a worse stadium situation than the Revolution. Well, maybe Chicago too, uh, but New York City I think is arguably the one the one team with the worst stadium situation than the Revolution. Um, and you know the, the reason the field's used, which I think this question was probably a bit sarcastic or facetious. Um, it, the reason the field's used is because of the location um, and the fact that the team is part owned by the Yankees. So it's a convenient thing is that hey, we have the stadium in New York City and we want this team to be playing in New York City proper. That's why they're playing there. But it, yeah, it's terrible. Um, they need to get a soccer specific stadium. You know, we've seen how hard it is for the revolution to try to do so over, you know, like 20 years now, uh, New York's been trying a lot less time, um, but they're not any closer than the revolution are. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's terrible to watch games there and they are, I think, number one on the list of teams that need their own stadium ASAP. Well, and you, you, you're talking about the, the footing on the field too. I, I feel like players were slipping all over the, all over the pitch. I mean, you even think back to, uh, Boateng on that that corner kick in the in the 23rd minute, uh, it just went up and it, it didn't even enter enter the field of play. It went straight out for a goal kick. Uh, wasn't even close. I think uh, not Brian Caramel over, over on Twitter made the joke that that was an uh, E11 on your scorecards because you know you're at the you at the baseball field. You got you got to mark down your errors, but that was it was a really really bad play and it, it just it was a culmination of. Not a culmination. That was a bad word there, but it was just uh, something that we were seeing repetitively over and over again. Uh, players losing their footing uh, left and right. I don't know what's going on with the pitch there, but uh, of course we have the infield uh, uh, with that sod overlay. That's I don't know. I, I can go on and on about how much I, I can't stand watching the Revolution play uh, at Yankee Stadium. It's just it's not a good place to play soccer. And, but I do want to quickly go back to his his first lead in that didn't really have to do with the question. Yeah, because no. because you and I were talking before about World Cup qualifiers, and um, it is going to be very difficult for the Revolution against Philadelphia. Although Philadelphia might be missing just as many, if not more. I haven't looked at the final the final um, call ups, but they have a, several internationals as well. Um, so they, it might be equal equally uh, weakened rosters for that game. But it's re- the only game that these players are guaranteed to miss is that game. Because, yep. you know, the international break goes through that Wednesday and then the Revolution have a game Saturday. So, you know, there's a good chance some of these guys come back and maybe don't start that game for the same reason Gustavo Bo didn't start this game. Um, but the only game they're guaranteed to miss is that Philly game. And then the Revolution are off the next time there's an international break. And I think October, the Revolution don't play during that stretch. So it's 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 going to be tough next weekend. But that's really the only game that they have to miss. So it's not it's not 
that bad. And again, the only reason they're missing that game is because the Revolution were supposed to be playing Philadelphia on September 15th. Um, but because of Philadelphia having a good year last year and making the CONCACAF Champions League, um, this game was rescheduled for the international break. So uh, it's unfortunate that the Revolution are playing, but it, it, it really is just this one weekend, um, and it, it could be a lot worse. So, um, it, you know, again, it, it might result in the Revolution losing two games in a row, but if that's all that happens and the Revolution recover from that, you know, they're still in good shape. Um Patrick also had another question, and this is the same question a bunch of people asked. He says, can we get a guy to take a decent corner and give Buxa a shot? No more playing short or corners that don't clear the near post defender. Give the guy that leads the league in air challenges a uh, word I'm not going to say because we're a clean podcast chance. And then <laughs> Michael on Discord uh, said, do you think Bo should be taking corner kicks? And then Oscar Liberos said, why does Bo keep taking all the corners? It makes no sense. Um, and we saw Boateng. Uh, of course, before Gustavo Bo was in, take a few corners in the first half. His first corner was absolutely terrible and I think never even entered the field of play and went straight into the side of the net. Uh, but then he had a couple that were decent. Um, I actually didn't think the corner kick service was, was – I mean, it was a mixed bag. I think about 50% of them were, were good. It was a mixed bag in this game. Um, but, I, you know, they did have some chances off, off of corners, I thought. What, what did you think of the corners and who do you think should be taking the corners with Carly's heel out? Yeah, I'm okay with uh... – a mix of Boateng, McNamara, and Tristan taking corners. I know everyone's going to jump on me for saying McNamara should be taking corners, uh, but he could deliver an okay ball every once in a while. Uh, it's just as a matter of when, when you're going to see that ball come in. Uh, I know the Revolution kind of changed up their tactics late in the first half uh, and switched to a lot of short corners, um, or maybe that wasn't even in the second half. I, I don't remember exactly now. But they did switch it up, and they started doing a lot of short corners because – all of their uh, in-swingers or out-swingers, whatever you want to call them, just weren't reaching uh, uh, the middle of the the, the six-yard box where where Henry Kessler and, and Adam Buxa are just waiting to to try to head it home. And actually, it was in the second half because that was when Gustavo Bo was driving him in, and he was doing pretty poor of it. And he's a guy that I don't want taking corners. I want him putting the ball in the net. So I am 100% with Patrick and Michael and Oscar – and anyone else that, that tweeted at us mentioning the same exact thing, I don't know why Gustavo Bo is on the corners. Uh, you got to throw one of the, the midfielders out there, someone that's not going to be an integral part of receiving the corner. It should be taking it. Uh, and in my opinion, Tristison is probably the best option out there. Boateng, fine. You want to throw him there. He's a short guy. I don't care. Get the short guys taking corners. I'm big on height. So... Uh, as long as you know Matt Polster is not taking it, Henry Kessler is not taking it, Adam Books is not taking it, and Gustavo Bo is not taking it, then I don't really care who's out there. As long as they can just whip it in, uh, that that's what it comes down to for me. I don't I don't know if you have a different take, Sean. No, I agree with all that, and I thought Boateng was actually other than that first one, which is absolutely terrible and inexcusable. I thought Boateng was was actually pretty decent at his, his corner kicks. Um, but my main thing is I don't want Gustavo Bo taking corners. I want him either yeah. in, in the box or kind of at the top of the box to pick up any scraps because he's he's too good of a finisher. And I also hate when he's out wide for like a short corner and sometimes they just ignore him. And it's I, I don't I don't want Gustavo Bo having anything to do with the corner kicks other than being in the box um, or, or at the top of the box. So that's that I, I agree with all those comments as well. And I, I agree with you. 
Um, Eric on Twitter asked, what does this match tell us besides the fact our roster doesn't work as a futsal team? God, that field is trash. Uh, I, I think we've kind of covered what it tells us. I, the main thing it tells me is that if you're missing your three best creative players, you're in trouble, which is not surprising. And also that, you know, the Revolution don't want to have to play at Yankee Stadium in the playoffs, which is also, barring a disaster, not going to happen. Is there anything I missed there, Chris? Well, and, and your, your takeaway on Dewan Jones, I think, uh, relevant as well. Yeah, no, I don't think you, you missed anything on that. I, I did want to quickly jump back to Patrick's first comment, by the way. He says we won't see Hugh until October. Um, I, I want to make sure that listeners know that that's not nothing that we're putting out as, as fact. I'm guessing that's Patrick's uh, assumption that we won't see Hugh until October. But um, I just wanted to clarify that real quick. There still is no time frame for his return. So no, th- thank you for that clarification. And it is extremely frustrating that there is no time frame for that return. So I don't blame him for assuming that we're not hearing anything. Yep. But yeah, sorry, Eric, I don't have anything else to add to that. It's uh, you know, the team does not work as a futsal team. Maybe we could try beach, beach, uh, beach soccer next. That's what it is. <laughs> Um, Mike Rayner on Twitter um, has more of an observation than a comment. New York City FC splits playing at Yankee Stadium and everywhere else are insane. They're 4-0-1 there with 17 goals for and two goals against, which that is insane. Um, and other than that, they're 6-6-3 and with 18 goals for and 17 goals against everywhere else. So uh, that those are crazy numbers. Um, the Far Post podcast actually talked about that um, last week, and I think um, they were kind of going through the teams that they'd played at home, and it wasn't a particularly impressive list of teams that they played at home until the Revolution. So some of that you can write off as you know they're blowing out teams like like Cincinnati that's that's struggling, and I think maybe Orlando. Um, so like that's that's not shocking. Um, still very impressive, but um, you know again it's very hard to play at Yankee Stadium, and I think they've had for the most part. You know, not that difficult of a schedule at Yankee Stadium. Um, but, you know, it also when you're talking about power rankings and you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, it does make you wonder where they would be if they had been able to play all their games at Yankee Stadium and weren't playing some of them, you know, at Red Bull Arena or elsewhere. Yeah, I didn't know about the statistic until literally just now, and I'm kind of gobsmacked, i got to say. Uh, that's That's outrageous to see how good they've been in Yankee Stadium. I mean, it makes sense, too. They're used to playing there, and you know it's their home ground. But uh, I mean, they they definitely didn't look that good when they were playing at at Red Bull Arena. So no, uh, yeah, that's it's shocking to me. I don't have much to comment on because I was uh, just really surprised to see that statistic. James Downing says, "Is it bad that I really don't care about this stupid loss on this stupid field?" I think that's a sentiment shared by a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that anyone should really be uh, dwelling on this one too much. There's a lot of uh, elements or a lot of, uh, I I can't find the right word, but there's a lot of pieces of this match going into it that just are not in the Revolution's favor. They had a lot to overcome if they were going to come away with one or three points. Uh, I still think that maybe they should have come away with a point. And that's kind of my opinion now going into every away match is one point or bust and... uh, they didn't even challenge for it. So it's definitely disappointing from that aspect. But there, like I said, I've I've said it now three times. This has been an uphill battle for the revolution. Uh, don't don't dwell on it. Uh, if this is becoming a trend, of course, then we got to start worrying, hit the panic button. But this is uh, just one game and uh, on to Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's... It's understandable. I think, again, like I said, when I saw that lineup the Revolution were putting out and knowing who they were playing, I, I wasn't shocked 
by the result. Um, yep. Traeger Durati on Twitter also says this New York City FC field compromised the integrity of the games played there. I think we've talked enough about that to to. Yeah, was there something up with the field tonight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he he also asked. I think a, a more relevant question though is is how do so many men get wide open on a field half the size of a regulation field? I think that's a valid question to ask. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that we didn't really talk about is the Revs defending set pieces. They didn't get scored on. Uh, on a set piece, but there were a few times they could have been scored on on set pieces where guys got wide open on set pieces. And and that to me is, again, regardless of what pitch you're playing on, kind of inexcusable. And I think that's a situation that um, the Revolution have kind of been lucky on this season that they haven't been burned more on because there there have been a lot of times this year where I've noticed guys have gotten open on set pieces and, you know, the, the marking hasn't been good enough. 100%. And even look, the game started that way. The third minute, there was a set piece for New York City. Um, Medina was, I, I think he was, uh, he was might have been in an offside position. I'm not sure exactly where he was, but uh, completely unmarked. All by himself. He was given time to take down the ball in the box on a set piece. It was delivered into the box. He was given time to take it down, let the ball settle, and then take a shot. Uh, you can't allow players time like that there was a lot of bad set piece defending and even set piece attacking, if you want to call it that too, from the revolution tonight, it was just bad all around. Uh, but yeah, it, it is another thing too. When you talk about the size of the field, how do the players get so open? Cause it wasn't just the set pieces. Um, like you had mentioned, it, it was, uh, it, it was all, it was all around it. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to start another rant, but it's just so frustrating with this, this pitch and the fact that New York city knows how to, how to, how to work their way through it and how to take advantage of the space that they have and find these open pockets. The revolution just looked like they had never played on, on a field that small. And it's, uh, we keep ragging on it, but it's not that small. Like, yes, it is. It's small in comparison. It's probably the smallest pitch any of these players will ever play on in a professional or even uh, exhibition match. Uh, as far as their professional careers are going. But eh, you can't put so much on the size of the on the size of the pitch. It's still there. Everyone has to play on the same size field. We said it or I say it at least week in, week out, you can only play the team that you're facing. You can only play on the field that you're faced uh, or that you're scheduled to play on. And you kinda gotta deal with the elements and, and the revolution didn't do that. Uh, you know, credit again to NYC because they, they, they took their chances, they found their space and they made it happen. Yeah, and and just one thing I wanted to add is we've you know talked about trust and maybe disappointed a little bit on the field, but one thing I want to give him credit for is he was asked after the game by Frank Delapa about the field and about no Carlos Hill, no Buchanan. He basically Frank basically teed him up with a bunch of excuses, and it was I, I think he responded great in saying you know there's no excuse for the performance we had today. We cannot have the missing players or the field as excuses, and that's the right attitude. It, you know we've made a lot of excuses for the Revs today, but at the end of the day, you know it wasn't a good performance, um, and there's plenty of reasons for. For that but you know it, they, they lost and they need to be better um it's you know easy to write this game off but i think there are some things you can learn from it and and on that note uh john useglio on twitter asked what do you think this team's greatest weaknesses aside from the injuries and realistically what chance do you give this team to win mls cup and i think we talked about some of their greatest weaknesses and the set piece defending and some of the defending we saw tonight i mean uh, to me the uh, the defense still has some question marks right 100% defense to us, question marks. And I think that this has been a recurring theme, uh, even in games where the Revolution are winning. And 
not necessarily surrendering any goals. We're still looking at the defense and saying it's a little suspect. Uh, we're kind of surprised that more goals are not being allowed. And you look at Matt Turner's statistics and you see uh, his uh, goals allowed versus expected goals to allowed. Uh, I, I don't have the stat in front of me right now, but uh, you're looking at it and that's a lot. Uh, Matt Turner's a huge reason as to why the revolution don't allow more goals than they do. That back line has been uh, very vulnerable at points. And tonight, it was essentially the starting back line, right? Mafla is expected to be the left back. I wouldn't say he's been as good as uh, as Dewan Jones, but we did have Dewan Jones over on the right-hand side, and of course that's not his uh, the side that he's now used to, but it's still Dewan Jones out there, and we still had Henry Kessler, we still had Andrew Farrell, and then Matt Turner in net, and it's still not doing enough. Uh, the defense is 100% where I'm looking when you, when we're talking weakness and wondering what it takes to get this together. Maybe it's you know the Matt Polster effect, and now it was great to see Matt Polster get out there in the second half and see that he's you know he's healthy and he's uh, working back to game fitness. I'm guessing. Uh, so uh, that's very encouraging to see. And maybe once he gets out there, that that back line is going to be a little bit more solidified. Once Brandon By gets back out there, maybe that's going to help. Uh, help bring things together and I, I guess I'm playing into the the caveat of the question of without talking about injuries but the back line still makes me worry I'm not worried about this team scoring goals they average two goals a game uh, going into tonight of course they didn't score tonight but I'm okay with uh, that average of goals I mean they're the highest scoring team in MLS uh, by several goals so I'm sure nobody has overtaken them in one night but uh, yeah, it's the back line 100% is where where I'm focused on. Uh, Sean, I've left the midfield for you if that's where you're looking. But uh, for me, it's it's the back line. No, I, I'm with you. It's the back line. And I, I think in particular set piece defending is a weakness for this team. And like I said, I don't want to get into it because I just did. But that's an area <laughs> that I think the revolution could have been burned on more than they have been this season. So that's that's something that uh, would concern me. Um, it's hard to say aside from injuries, but I do think the revolution backline when everyone's healthy is, is, is solid enough. Um, but I think that's also the area where if, if one guy gets hurt, you know, any guy gets hurt that, you know, the, the downgrade or the, what, what it does to the defense, not necessarily just talent wise, but kind of cohesion wise is pretty big, um, more so than just about anywhere else in the field. Um, so yeah, that, that to me is the greatest weakness. And then the second part, what realistic, realistically, what chance do you give the team to win MLS cup? It goes back to what we talked about before. I think if the revolution hold on to the number one overall seed, I think they have a very good chance of winning MLS cup. Um, I think if the revolution end up, you know, dropping the supporter shield and, you know, Seattle takes it and Seattle, you know, breezes through the playoffs. And again, you know, that, that's a lot of ifs, but if, hypothetically, if the revolution end up in a final against Seattle on the road, um, my money's on Seattle, not the revs. But if the revolution win the supporter shield, I think they have a very good chance. Uh, I, in my mind, I think Seattle and the revolution are by far the two best teams in MLS this year and a healthy Seattle team might be better than a healthy revolution team. Um, so if the revolution have to go on the road to play them, I, I don't favor the revolution in that at all. But I think if the revolution where they're going, if they hold on to supporter shield, I think they have a, a really good chance to win MLS cup, the best chance that they've ever had. Um, and part of that's because, you know, the, the way things work now, um, it would be at Gillette stadium where in the past it was at a neutral ground. Um, so, you know, the, when the revolution were losing those MLS cups with the exception of 2002, um, which was actually at Gillette stadium, but, 
that was you know kind of a weird one because I think that was the one MLS Cup where the Revolution on paper were huge underdogs. Um, but you know, so it's, it's a long-winded way of saying I think the Revolution have a good chance this year, and I think it's their best chance they've ever had. Yep, and you know, I, I love that you're talking about Seattle in this conversation because they absolutely should be there. But when we're also looking at Seattle, there's one player on the team that I'm looking at and saying Revolution could really use someone like that right now, and that player is Kellen Rowe, and he's been week in week out impacting the Seattle Sounders and helping them uh, grind out wins and, and just keep keep moving through the Western Conference and just dominating. Uh, Kelly Rowe, it's just it's un, unreal to see how much impact he's actually had on that team. It, maybe he's not scoring all the goals or getting on all the highlights, but he's been a very solid piece uh, defensively. It just essentially in the midfield, he's been very stable. And I think the Revolution have absolutely missed having a stable piece in the midfield He's not going to replace Carly's heel, but giving a partner or some sort of uh, player to, you know, kind of be the link between Matt Polster and and Carly's heel or whoever's going to be playing that 10 spot, I think Khaled Rowe would be such a great fit for that spot. And I think it's really too bad that the Revolution let him go uh, in this offseason. As far as, you know, there's a long-winded Kellen Rowe uh, sidebar just because I'm a big Kellen Rowe fan, but... Uh, as far as back to the question, the chance I give the team to win MLS Cup, you know, you want to you want to talk percentages. I'm I would say it's probably over fifty percent um, uh, when it comes to if they can make it to MLS Cup. If they're playing in the match, it's I think I give them a greater than fifty percent chance to win. I don't care who the opponent is. Uh, as far as getting there, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, I, I think they have a very good chance. I don't know what percentage I would put on it. There's going to be a lot of good teams, a lot of hungry teams that they're going to be going up against. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, New York City is up there again. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the history of MLS, the Supporter Shields winners don't win MLS Cup very frequently. So it's, you know, the best team in the regular season doesn't always win MLS Cup. And, you know, that that LAFC team that we keep talking about and how good they were, you know, they didn't win MLS Cup. They lost it to the, in the Western Conference final to who else but the Seattle Sounders. So um, it's, yeah, so it's, you know, at, at home, they lost the game to Seattle. So it's, there's no, there's no guarantee uh, when he gets to the playoffs, it's kind of a crapshoot. Um, but you know, by being the top seed and guaranteeing yourself home field advantage throughout, that's a that's a huge edge. Um, so I, I give the Revolution a, you know a better chance than anybody else of winning MLS Cup this year. But uh, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Um, but again, I think this is the the best chance the Revs have ever had, given how the playoffs are lined up, and given how good they've been in the regular season, and given that they should they should be that number one overall seed. Um, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, ratio got on Twitter, I think asked a question that we've kind of answered. What is the difference between tonight and the last 11 games unbeaten? I think it was actually nine games unbeaten. 11 yep. games unbeaten would be the revs record or tied for the revs record. Um, lack of attack, no fight players, not fully focused. Um, I guess he's, I guess he was giving us different options that we had earlier, Chris, lack of attack, no fight players, not fully focused. What, what, which ones of those would you, uh, would you pin tonight? No fight, um, or focused. I mean, it's tough the, all of the above well, defensively. Really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's they, they seem not focused. They seemed to just uh, I, I still don't understand half of the passes that they made. Uh, first of all, I don't think they were smart passes to begin with. And second of all, I don't think they executed any pass very well. They just kept tapping the ball and it went straight to New York City's feet. And I was like, what are you doing? Uh, that's the opposition. You're supposed to keep the ball away from them, not give it to them. Um, there was 
I don't know. So many different areas. If you, if I had to pick one out of out of those three, lack of attack, no fight, or players not focused, I would just say it was no fight. It just looked like very few players on the team showed up to compete. I'll say Matt Turner showed up to compete. You could hear him on the broadcast loud and clear, screaming at the officials. Uh, we can't repeat that here on the podcast, though. Um, yeah, I'll say Buxa was there to compete. He had a hell of a game, like I said. Of course, his finishing was a little bit off. Doesn't take away from his compete level. And then uh, aside from that, uh, I put Matt Polster. I think you know he was hungry to get back in there, and it was it was really nice to see him once once he got uh, his feet back under him. Yeah, I'm going to disagree a little bit, and I, I think it was more the no fight kind of number three on this list because I, I actually thought the Revolution started this game decently. The Revolution have been you know notoriously bad at starting games this season, but and I thought that would be the case when I saw this lineup, but I actually thought they started okay. It was it was a fairly even match until New York City FC scored. Although I guess in, in saying that, the, the, there wasn't much fight when, when they fell behind. So maybe I, I'm, I'm reconsidering that as I'm speaking. Um, <laughs> but I, I, the, I will say that I thought they started the game okay, all things considered, and kind of fell apart after that goal was scored and didn't show enough fight to, to come back. So I'm, I've talked myself out of my initial answer. <laughs> um, we have some kind of various questions here that are less about this game. Um, three of them that we'll, we'll go through quickly. James Downing uh, on Twitter wanted to know on the appearance record, do you put Farrell or Fagundes in the same camp as recent and Joseph as Farrell, a club legend? And I think you can kind of divide those into two separate questions. At least I would, but I'll, I'll Chris, I'll, I'll let you take it first. So I, I'm going to start with Farrell and uh, address the club legend thing. I mean, is this still a question? Why are we still talking about this? He literally holds the record now for the most appearances in a Revolution uniform. Of course he's a legend. That's kind of uh, uh, the epitome of of a legend is, you know, holding a record like that, especially specifically like an appearance record. He's been with the club through so much. He's been to MLS Cup with the Revolution. Uh, I can only think of one other player on the roster that can say that, and he doesn't get any minutes. Um, of course, we talk about Scott Caldwell and... Yeah, I just don't understand why everyone wants to know is Farrell still a club legend. I mean, he's starting. He's played every single minute this season for the New England Revolution. He's the only player on the roster that has played every single minute this season for the Revolution, which is also mind-boggling to me. It's just absurd. And everyone's still asking, is he a club legend? I don't get it. Where? Why is that a question? Yes, absolutely, 100%. He's a club legend. I know, Sean, you and I talked a little bit uh, once we got this question in at first, saying would he be considered on the Mount Rushmore if you want to if you want to take that metaphor and say is he among the the four best Revolution players ever? Maybe he's not in there. I think he maybe he has a a conversation to uh, there's you know there's an argument to be made for him to be there because he has been with the Revolution now and he's been played more games than anybody else and I think that might be qualification enough to be on that. Uh, but I understand statistically and. You want to look maybe more at the attackers and the more impact, uh, statistical impact players. That's fine. Um, but uh, Farrell is a club legend, 110%. Uh, I'm going to throw it back to you, Sean, and let you maybe take the recent Joseph piece or the Fagundes piece. Well, I, I got to ask you, too. Do you think Fagundes is a, is a club legend? Yes, in a different way. Not because of almost breaking the record for most appearances uh in a revs uniform but i'd say for the way that he came in and he kind of changed uh the way that the club 
kind of operated in, in a sense where he came in as this 14 year old kid uh, from Leominster, Massachusetts, and he just lit it up. Uh, he was such a rising star, something that the revolution had never seen was teenager making waves and becoming a fan favorite. Um, so just in his own right, just, you know, paving a way, I guess, uh, for the revolution and to you know, really see how youth can come in and, and make an impact on your team. Uh, and then as you know, he's been with the, the club for so long, he's got 51 goals, I think it is with the revolution, which is a, a huge number in itself, especially considering he's a midfielder. Um, so yeah, Fagundes is a legend just in a different light than, than Andrew Farrell. Yeah, I, I, for the most part, agree with you. I think Andrew Farrell, he's your all-time leader in appearances. He's been with the team his whole career. I don't know how you would say he's not a club legend. Um, and, you know, I think Diego Fugunez, like you said, um, first player from the academy, it started extremely young with the team. It got an insane amount of appearances as well. I think he's absolutely a club legend. There's other, I mean, we're not asked about it, but there's other guys that some people don't sometimes consider a club legend, which baffles me. Like Jay Heap sometimes gets mm-hmm. left out of that conversation. He's absolutely a club legend for, I think, even more reasons because of how yep. many MLS Cup he was. Every single MLS Cup the Revs have been to, he's either been in as a player or the coach. And same with the U.S. Open Cup and Super League, which is just absolutely insane. You know, every time they've been in a final, he's been a part of that in some way so uh, he's absolutely a club legend sometimes he gets left out i know that's a, a side rant that we weren't asked about but i had to throw that in there um i still think it's ridiculous he wasn't part of that all-time team that came out last year uh but it, it it's very some there's some very weird logic used by people and i think you know some of the same people that would say chris tierney is a club legend don't include farrell as a club legend and that to me is insane because farrell is more of a club legend than tierney in my mind um mm-hmm. and you know I, I think if you're trying to talk about level of talent um, I don't think that Tierney was a more talented left back than Farrell as center back either. Um, but so, that, you know, I, I don't know. All, all those guys to me are club legends. Um, when you talk about the same camp as recent Shari Joseph, also club legends, uh, that's where it gets complicated because I, I think if you look at, again, if you look at the concept of a Mount Rushmore, which is, you know, the four, which you're limited to four players, I think the difference between a Reese, a Joseph, a Twelman, and a Ralston, who right now would be the Revs Mount Rushmore, I think in my mind, and I think in most people's mind, is all of those guys had the longevity. They didn't have as many appearances as Farrell, but they had a ton of appearances for the Revolution, but also had seasons where they were in conversations as the best player in their position. Uh, there were seasons where Taylor Twelman was the best striker in MLS. There were seasons, a lot of seasons, where Steve Ralston was the best right midfielder in MLS. There were a lot of seasons where Shara Joseph was the best defensive midfielder in MLS. And there were some seasons where Matt Reese was at least in the conversation for the best goalkeeper in MLS. I don't think there's ever really been a season where Andrew Farrell has been in the conversation as the best defender or the best center back in MLS, uh, which, you know, again doesn't stop him from being a club legend because he's been a very good defender over his career and, you know, very solid and consistent for the revolution. Just not quite at kind of the superstar level of the best at his position. And that to me kind of puts those four guys in a separate category from Farrell um, and why I think they're the Mount Rushmore. And I think Carles Hill, if he stays in the revolution for any significant more period of time is going to have a very strong case for breaking into that Mount Rushmore. Um, but right now I would say next in line might be Lee Wynn, um, because mm-hmm. Lee Wynn had a lot of appearances for the revolution, was an MVP candidate for the league, um, put up fantastic attacking numbers. So I, I you know, no, they're in the same category and that they're club legends, but I do think that there's a step above 
um, with Matt Reese, Shari Joseph, Taylor Twelman, and Steve Ralston that a guy like Carlos Heel has a very good chance of getting to. Um, and the only thing that he's missing is longevity because his performances certainly justify it. But I don't think Farrell will ever quite get to that level um, just because, you know, as good as he is, he's never really been the best at his position or in the conversation for the best at his position. I mean, he made the MLS All-Star team in 2016. He he did he did, but he also <laughs> was never really a, a U.S. national team contender for for playing time, and has or never career, been an MLS yeah. best eleven. Um, yeah, so I I you know he's a club legend, but I I don't put him in the same quite in the same class as Reese Joseph, Twelman, and Rawson, who are kind of in a class of their own. With the next tier being Carlos Heel, who's going to get to that class if he stays here, and Lee Wynn, who came very close to getting to that class. Um, but probably the only thing missing for him was kind of the, the, a little bit more longevity. So I, I think that's a fair point. So can't argue that. Um, J- James Downey had another question. Uh, he mentions that Justin Renix is on a hundred and ten thousand salary. Isn't that kind of high? Is that the contract the result of a Mike Burns special and the whole Celtic interest? Um, I'll, I'll leave that one to you, Chris, to take a first stab at. Um, the one thing I will say though is because he's a homegrown player, I don't believe that. Kalitz got the salary cap. I think he's a supplemental roster guy, so it's it, it's kind of irrelevant what his salary is as long as it's not counting as the salary cap. But what's what's your take on this one? Yeah, first of all, I mean that's absurdly high for a player that gets most, if not all, of his minutes uh, with the USL League One team. Uh, can you tell me any USL players that are you know a standard starter uh, for their USL team that's making you know more than? There's probably there's probably some other guys in similar situations that are homegrowns for other teams. If I looked into it off the top of my head, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just I, I I've followed some some USL careers and I know they're making enough money to to pay rent in their apartment and have a little bit of extra money left over to to pay their their car financing and, and stuff like that and to buy some shoes or something like that. They're not making a lot of money down there. $110,000 a year is a ton of money, uh, especially for a player that it, it, not even in USL championship, he's playing in USL one. Um, and I don't really, I haven't seen his stats so much this year, but I haven't heard a whole lot about Renix necessarily doing great this year. Um, no, I know he's been, he's been coming up and he's been on the bench now a couple of times for uh, the revolution first team, which is a good thing for him, but, uh, he's got to start getting some minutes with the first team to justify that sort of salary. Again, if it doesn't count towards the salary cap, it's all fun money. It's all garber bucks. Who cares anyway? But uh, if we're just taking that out of the element, just looking at the salary. Uh, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to make that much money um, for the sort of return that, that he's providing. Uh, I'm going to agree with all that, but then I'm going to go back and say I don't blame Mike Burns for this one. Um, because he, you know, he signed him coming off of a very impressive U20 World Cup. There was yep. interest um, for he, he had, there's interest in, in Scotland. He had trained with clubs in Germany. Um, if you recall, there was actually it actually seemed very unlikely he was ever going to sign for the Revs because they, yeah, he had gone off and trained in Germany without the Revs' permission. They suspended him. It didn't seem like relationships were very good. Um, and I think Revolution fans would have been very annoyed with the revolution organization if they hadn't found a way to sign him and lost a homegrown player to Europe. So I, I, 
I don't think it was a bad move by Mike Burns. Um, you know, I think the revolution did the right thing, signing him a, a guy, a guy that had gone up through their academy and that there was interest in from overseas, you know, in hindsight, it looks like a bad contract, but at the time it made a lot of sense w- with all that said, though, I, I will say that, you know, there were a few people, I, I'm not someone that gets many opportunities to watch the revolution Academy play. So I, I'm not going to say I saw a lot of Renix, but there are people that I trust that see more of the Academy than I did that when the revolution were signing him, were telling me that they thought the hype was too much for Justin Reddix, that he was more of kind of a, you know, he wasn't a guy that, um, you know, was going to beat people on the dribble. He was more of kind of a poacher. And I think you saw that in the U20 World Cup. He scored some good goals, but they were more of, you know, cleaning up the scraps. And that takes a skill to do that. You know, that's a good skill to have. But I think that's also something that the Revolution don't really need, especially with Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa. He was never going to get time for the first team in that role. And I think we've seen him try to become more of a, a winger or you know, playing out wide or playing different roles that don't necessarily suit his skill set. Um, I just don't think he's the player that fans thought he was going to be um, when the Revolution signed him. I think there was so much hype around him, and I don't think he ever deserved quite that level of hype. Um, but all of that is to say that uh, you know, despite all this, despite the fact that he's probably making more money than he should be making, I don't blame Mike Burns. I think it was kind of a, a no-brainer decision that the Revolution signed this guy from their academy who was attracting interest overseas and who was playing on the U-20 World Cup team. Yeah, and I, I just want to add as well on topic of Justin Reddix, you know, looking at that under-20 World Cup uh, team that played, uh, one of the other players on that team is Indiana Vasilev. And I, I thought Indiana Vasilev was maybe a little bit better. I did watch that that. Uh, under 20 tournament uh, and I thought Indiana, Indiana Vasilev was really the standout player from that team and he is now getting regular minutes or maybe not regular but he's getting minutes on a consistent basis uh, with uh, Miami uh, I can't think of it, Inter-Miami uh, which is nice to see that he's now breaking into the scene uh, on the professional scene, making an impact and contributing to his club and maybe that's something where Justin Renix is kind of at that same level and possibly well, haven't seen the last of Justin Renix uh, trying to make a push for a professional uh, level amount of playing time, you know? Uh, maybe there's more to come for Justin Renix. Is kind of what I'm saying if Indiana Vasilev is just starting to hit his stride now. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing you have to say is, you know, he's a guy that's competing for minutes at the same spot that Buxa plays at, that Buo plays at, and that Teal Bunbury, who I you know has his detractors, um, but it's still a guy that can score double digits in MLS plays at. So that's a, a lot of veteran competition for him to beat out to play at the position that he's best at because he is best as a forward, not as some sort of winger, at least from mm-hmm. what I've seen. So I, I, it's you know there's a lot of reasons why it's difficult for him uh, you know to break through. It's an it's unfortunate for him. I wouldn't write him off yet. Um, but there's a you know there's a there's a lot there. So I I, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I I don't I if I were to, a betting man, I don't think he is ever gonna breakthrough for the first team but um i i still don't think it was a mistake for mike burns to sign him to the contract that he did back then and i think if they hadn't you know every rose fan would be asking what if and and why did we let this guy from our academy go hey maybe a reunion uh down in birmingham with jay heaps is in the, is in the cards for justin Rennix. who knows um i i gotta go back to one question we missed which is goes back to what i was a little bit what i was just talking about oscar liberos on twitter says teal dunbury is a usl quality player prove me wrong should not be starting an mls chris this seems harsh to me what do you think <laughs> he's the golden boot winner for the revolution for 2020 uh how i don't know how you could justify that there was nobody else on the roster that had a better output than teal bunbury in 2020 when you're talking goals scored 
Uh, you want to say Teal Bunbury has his moments where uh, he, he could do better? Absolutely. I think every player does. But you know what? I think Teal Bunbury's, maybe maybe his misses, maybe his mishaps, whatever you want to call them, are typically a bit more extravagant, if you will, than other players. You know, when he takes a shot from uh, just outside the six-yard box and it goes out for a throw-in, you know, those are the plays that you kind of remember. Uh, people don't think about as much the play that he does off the ball, um, how he does, you know, positionally and how mentally smart he is uh, in understanding the game and how fast he is too. You know, and MLS is not too fast for him still. Uh, he's, I don't know how old he is, 32, 33. Um, but he's only is, 31. <laughs> 31. Okay. So even better. I, you know, I was, I was taking him down a couple notches, but um, 31 years old, he's still showing that he has what it takes uh, to be on an MLS roster. I think, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where this necessarily came from. That is a USL level player. I think that he's right now a quality depth piece. I think that's a good spot for him. And he, you know what? He can play on the wing as well too, which I wish Bruce Arena would kind of experiment with a little bit more considering how much trouble uh, it has been to find consistency on the wings. Yeah. I mean, Teal Bunbury is a very streaky player. He's a very, uh, there's a lot of opinions on Teal Bunbury from the revolution fan base. That's, that's nothing new. Um, some people love him. Some people don't love him. Uh, he's absolutely an MLS level player. Um, and, but I think, you know, I, I don't think he benefits from the fact he's only had six starts this year. I think he's a guy that goes on runs and looks really good when he goes on those runs and you know, as a confidence player. And I think it's hard to get that when you've only made six starts. Um, but with all that said, this is a guy that, you know, was a U.S. national team player at one point of his career, albeit nine years ago. He's, he's absolutely an MLS level player. Um, and he just happens to be on a team that has two strikers that are better than him. Um, so he's not getting a lot of time, not getting a lot of minutes at striker. And then, you know, he's on a team that has a winger in Tejan Buchanan. That's a better winger than him. I don't think anyone would argue that. Um, so, you know, where's, where's his minutes going to come from? And, you know, maybe they, there's been times where I think he's played over Arnold Tristan because he's been disappointment, but, um, you know, he's a, he's a great depth piece that is paid the right salary for his contributions. And I think he's a good piece for the revolution to have. And I understand that there's a lot of people that, uh, I think because of some of his misses in the past that have uh, looked pretty bad that he, you know, he has had, um, I don't think so much this year as in past years. Uh, people have you know certain opinions about him, but uh, it's I think that's a, a very a very harsh comment to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I don't I don't think it's ideal for him to only have six starts and you know get beginning the limited minutes he gets this year because I do think he's a guy that you know confidence plays a big role. I think he's a guy that that young players and and new players to the league could look up to and learn a lot from. Uh, he's he's got to be such a great locker room person to have around he's always got a smile on his face i don't think i've ever seen teal aside from just being serious not have a smile on his face he's he's just such a great person to be around and always so positive yeah i know i think he's he's absolutely good locker room presence and a good veteran to have around the team as well and somebody you know that that knows mls and you know has seen success in mls um so yeah (laughs) i don't know the the stuff that gets thrown around about about teal sometimes is, is a little ridiculous um, because we always have to have at least one question. That's not about soccer. <laughs> uh, PH swimmer on Twitter wants to know our hot dogs sandwiches. <laughs> okay. So I hate this question. Me too. 
<laughs> and I hate it for more reasons than one. One, I hate it because it's just a stupid question. But two, I hate it because it actually makes me think. It's between two pieces of bread, especially if the if you're using is it a two wee pieces? hot dog roll that <laughs> splits at the bottom, and it becomes two pieces. And you have protein in the middle. That's a sandwich, but it's not a sandwich. So it's in some sort of paradox catch twenty two world. Maybe you can call it a sandwich. But I'm going to stick with hot dogs or just flipping hot dogs and who the hell cares? Just eat it and stop asking this question. <laughs> I'm with you. And um, there's been some like really funny if you if you've watched the Little League World Series or some of the, the Twitter stuff about it. That was one of the questions they asked the kids <laughs> to answer. And <laughs> they had some oh. of the same the same reactions as you. Uh, those are actually pretty funny. If you haven't seen them, there was one where they tried to ask them to identify a floppy disk. So if you want to feel old, okay. uh, I did see look, the floppy look at that disk. one. Yeah, yeah well, the same, same type of thing. I, I'm with you. If I had to if I. You know, if I if you put me on the spot, I would say a hot dog is not a sandwich, and my reasoning would be that it, I think it's technically only one piece of bread, <laughs> but right. uh, but uh, it's it squeeze too hard. If a it hot dog's a hot dog. I don't know. Yeah, why, why do you have to classify everything into a sandwich or not? You know. Right. <laughs> um, last last topic. You've talked about it briefly. Tejan Buchanan to Club Bruges. Uh, seven million dollar transfer fee, I think, reported with a ten percent sell-on clause. I think I think it was reported ten percent. Um, how accurate that is, I don't know. Um, this seems like a pretty good deal to me. You know, Revolution get a fee now. I think we talked in the past what we thought he should go for, and I think we said seven million. So I, I'm 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 guessing you're okay with this. And yep. the sell-on fee is great because if his value skyrockets and they sell him, the Revolution get ten percent of that. So I think that's a great thing. I don't think he's going to stay in Belgium very long. I think he's going to prove himself there and then go to a bigger team. Um, I think this is a great move. Um, people are excited about Champions League. They're in the Champions League. They got drawn into a absolutely awful group with um, who is it? Paris Saint Germain's in it, right? Is it Paris Saint Germain? PSG, Man City, and uh, uh, Leipzig, right? Team. Red Bull. It doesn't matter. Yeah, all teams that they're going to destroy them, they're going to be eliminated before Tejan gets there. So don't get too excited about them being in the Champions League. They're not going to. They're not. By the time Tejan plays for them, they're not going to be in the Champions League. So don't get too excited about that. Uh, but Chris, I think this is a good move. I think it's good for all parties. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I I love the move. I think Bruges is definitely a good spot for him. Uh, my only concern with Bruges is the fact that. Uh, Two days after they announced Tejan Buchanan, Club Bruges goes and announces uh, Kamal Sowa. Sawa? I, I apologize, I'm not getting that name correct. I, I'm almost guaranteed. And he looks to be a, a right midfielder, right winger. And I'm like, why are you going to bring in two right midfield, right midfield players um, two days apart from each other uh, that seem to be at the same kind of stage of their career, at the same sort of uh, skill levels, at least according to FIFA, because FIFA ratings are correct. But Kamal Sowa is a... Uh, 65 rated player on FIFA while Tejan Buchanan is a very underrated 64. Uh, so that kind of was a bit striking to me to see that sort of signing being made by, by Bruce after bringing in Tejan Buchanan. However, just focusing on Tejan, I think this is a fantastic move for him. Uh, Bruce is a, is a fantastic uh, launch pad and, and gateway into, into European football. And if, some miracle happens and Bruges gets to advance into the knockout stages of the Champions League. Uh, Tejan Buchanan is going to be there for that. That will start in that'd be, February. That'd be more than a miracle. <laughs> more than a miracle. You know, all we can hope is that PSG and Man City just knock each other down, uh, and you know, Bruges can can sneak in the back door. It's not going to happen. But uh, you I, can all... I think 
I think the miracle would be would be them somehow getting third in the group and making Europa League because even that is pretty unrealistic. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's... And, but that would be great if they if they made it to Europa League knockout rounds and and uh, Tejan played in that. That'd be great. Um, but I think in the in your best wildest dreams, that's all you can really hope for because I think they're even a distant a, a distance behind you know Red Bull Le- Leipzig as well, which is a really exactly. Good <laughs> yeah, and Jesse March's uh, Red Bull Leipzig is the is the fourth team in in Group A, um, which is just an unreal group to see. Uh, yeah. I, I think the only thing that's in Bruges' favor is the fact that Ronaldo signed with Man United instead of Man City. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are are upset or happy one way or the other with that decision, but we're not going to talk about Ronaldo today. At least I don't think we are. Um, but yeah, at, at the business side of this deal for Tejan going to Bruges. I just wanted to add on, I think was uh, fantastic. I've been saying six to 8 million is the, is the mark to hit 7 million. Of course is, is right in the middle of that. The sell on clause is nothing that I was even thinking that they were going to try to get, but it makes sense. Uh, 10% is huge. I think that's a big, big sell on clause. Uh, if you, you could think you could do the math, 10% is pretty easy um, to calculate. That's going to be a lot of money. If he can go for, you know, somewhere, 40 million or something like that into a big club if he's making waves with Bruges. That's a, that's a big ask, but uh, we've all seen Tejan's rise so far, and if he keeps going, I have no idea what the limit is for him. It's uh, it's pretty high ceiling. The the only thing I w- will add to that is you mentioned Kamal Soa being the other guy that they signed. It's, I think it's always interesting to kind of look at what they're paying for, for players, and they paid... Nine million euros for for Soa, which is like ten point five million U.S. dollars. So if you if you're looking at that as to what they're thinking when it comes to playing time, maybe that's not a great sign for Tayshawn. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it, you know nothing's guaranteed. You look at Belgium and you expect that you know he'll get plenty of playing time, but nothing nothing's guaranteed in Europe. So and we also don't know what uh, how how Bruges plans on using Tejan uh, because True. the Canadian team uses Tejan as. Uh, a wing back that really gets up the field a lot. Um, I think he's more attacking focused, um, but they've played him in that, that wing back position as well. And the revolution have also used him there too. So uh, club Bruges, I, I, I don't know how they plan on deploying either Soa or, or Buchanan. Maybe one of them is going to be moving to the left. Uh, time will tell. I'm excited to see what January brings and to see how Tejan uh, acclimates to his new team. And congratulations to Tejan. That's a fantastic move for him. Yeah, and it, there's like an obsession in Europe with turning players like Tejan or Alfonso Davies or you know into into wing backs. Um, yes. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if if that's where he ended up. Uh, so that that will be that'd be another interesting thing to to watch. And he's, I think he's certainly capable of playing that role. We've seen it enough. Um, so that'll that'll be fascinating. Um, I think that's all we had, Chris. Did you have any last things you wanted to talk about or any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, uh, this, you know, this pod went a little bit long. Uh, I think we are both ready to uh, forget this game happened and move on to the next one. Um, hopefully the next time that we have a podcast, uh, which I think is going to be September 3rd, 4th, 5th, something like that. Uh, hopefully we have some better stuff to talk about. I mean, even if we don't from the revs, we'll have some national team qualifiers. So, you know, we can always spin it that way if we have to. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot to look forward to there because I think we already know we we didn't mention it, but Matt Turner was called up uh, to the national team officially. Uh, Tejan Buchanan is officially called up for the Canadian national team. And Adam Buxa is officially called up. I think we already knew this by the time the last podcast, but uh, has officially been called up to the Polish national team. So three players that are going to be out for the uh, next week and a half or so. 
it, it's going to be fun to get to watch them on the national stage, and hopefully they can uh, make an impact for their teams. But the I guess the good news for the Revs, but not for him, is I think Tristison was not called up, right? Is that that was that's official? So at least the Revs will need him, <laughs> right? I, I didn't see him on the on the Iceland roster, at least. Yeah, so at least that's I guess that's um, a positive for the Revs, not for him. Um, yes. And on that note, where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, you can find find me over on Twitter is the best spot to get in touch. Find me on my my personal account at Chris Belucas, or you can uh, just talk soccer with me over at at Revs Revolt. And you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Make sure you follow Revolution Recap on Twitter, also on Instagram, also on Facebook. And if you haven't yet, rate and review wherever you're listening. We, I think we're up to 70 reviews on iTunes. So thank you to everybody that has thank rated you, and reviewed you. us there. Um, I think we still don't have any re- ratings on Audible. I don't know if anybody listens to podcasts on Audible, but if you do that, we'd, we'd appreciate we'd appreciate your review. That's a, that's one area that we're, we're lacking in. But again, thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back at some point during Labor Day weekend. Make sure you follow us on social media and we'll let you know exactly when that is. Uh, lots to look forward to next weekend.